Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to marketing strategies to regulatory pressures. The long-awaited end of the pandemic may finally be nearing the U.S. as vaccine distribution expands and new government guidance rolls back some of the mask and social distancing requirements. But for the CPG industry, some of the challenges that arose and accelerated in the past 15 months will linger long after the threat of COVID-19, unless stakeholders work together to address them now. Looking back on 2020, the Consumer Brands Association notes that the CPG industry has much to be proud of, including quickly adjusting supply chains and hiring employees to meet an unrelenting consumer demand that drove up sales 21% in March and 9.4% to $131 billion for the full year over 2019. And while the industry outperformed the broader economy in many ways, it continues to grapple with unique restrictions that, if left unchecked, could drag down year-over-year results. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Consumer Brands Association President and CEO Jeff Freeman acknowledges the industry's fortitude and creativity in tackling many of the unexpected challenges of 2020, and he shares what it will take to do the same for the lingering issues and new but related problems, including labor constraints, rising inflation, and ongoing supply chain limitations. Well, 2020 was a test unlike any the industry had ever seen before, and, and hopefully unlike one that we see again. And I think it was a test on a variety of levels. It was a test in consumer demand, just in what people wanted to bring into their homes, um, the amount of product that people were uh, were purchasing, some of it perhaps in the early stages hoarding. Uh, but there was that pure demand was was a big factor in what made 2020 unique, but also the shift. Right. Every one of our companies from PepsiCo to Procter and Gamble, uh, they have aspects of their business that deal with the consumer environment, that deal with the more commercial environment, uh, that deal with a hospitality environment. And all of that shifted. Right. Everything shifted in home. We all remember the stories of the commercial toilet paper that people didn't want to buy for their homes. How do you shift those lines? How do you shift the lines that are intended for food service? Um, to be available for the in-home environment. The third thing I would mention is just the sustained demand. Uh, the industry has seen before upticks in demand, but nothing as sustained as what we saw in 2020, which amounted to a 10% about you know, year-over-year increase in demand for CPG products. And this was an industry, is an industry, that is um, well in a, a well-oiled machine to meet the predictable demand year in, year out, that 10% growth really pushed it to the brink. At the end of the day, the industry succeeded. Uh, At the end of the day, and I'm sure we'll get into this, the industry was able to provide the American consumers what they were looking for, but it was a test unlike any other that we had seen. One way the CPG industry balanced increased demand with limited resources was to rationalize production by prioritizing essential and best-selling products temporarily or, in some cases, permanently, by pausing production of others. 
The CPG industry also leaned heavily on its employees and bringing on new hires at a time when other industries were furloughing and letting go of staff. In many cases, Freeman notes employee contributions and sacrifices were recognized with bonuses and pay increases, making the CPG industry an attractive segment for potential employees. The thing that enabled the industry to meet demand was the workforce. The workforce in this industry rose to the occasion, did incredible things. We saw an increase in hours. We saw facilities that would run five days a week. We're now running six and seven days a week. Facilities that would run two shifts, uh, usually, we're now running three shifts. Facilities that would be closed on various holidays, we're now working right through those holidays. Uh, the amount of investment from the workforce was extraordinary. And it allowed the industry, which had some initial dips in the workforce when you saw uh, food service and other things come offline uh, initially in March, April of last year, it allowed the industry to bring employment levels up to 98% of pre-pandemic levels by October. Uh, that certainly outpaced the rest of the workforce, uh, the rest of the overall economy, and that was a big achievement. And you see it not just in people working, but you see it in wages. You know, wages in the CPG industry in the third quarter of 2020 were 3.5% higher than they were uh, the year before at that time. In the broader economy, that, that, those wages declined by almost 1%. So you see a big shift. That's, uh, I think, demonstrative of some of the um, uh, the pandemic bonuses that were provided, uh, some of the other ways that we re rewarded the workforce uh, for their incredible contributions throughout 2020. The CPG industry and the broader retail, in not broader retail industry, the, the grocery retail industry and other aspects tied uh, to CPG products, uh, that was a good place to be for the workforce in 2020. Uh, and we expect that to remain true in 2021 and beyond. While there is much to make the CPG industry attractive for potential employees, Freeman cautions it isn't appealing enough and ongoing elevated consumer demand for products is creating unsustainable workforce pressure, which may require government intervention to alleviate. Well, there's no doubt as we look back on 2020, the contributions made by the workforce were not sustainable. Right, working five, six, seven days a week, uh, three shifts, um, the workforce gets, gets worn out, the machines get worn out. We needed to find a balance, and we're finding that balance here in 2021. We're seeing demand level off, uh, not at 2019 levels, still 80% uh, or more above 2019 levels, but just a notch or two lower than 2020, which is allowing the industry to take a breath here and there. Um, which the workforce, the machines, and others uh, desperately needed. When I look at you know, what, the, what it means for the workforce going forward, uh, we see continued demand in the products and continued demand in the workforce. In fact, our industry in a variety of areas is struggling to find uh, the employees it needs, whether it's in the manufacturing facilities, whether it's driving trucks, uh, whether it's finding electricians, uh, we are seeing a shortage within the qualified workforce, and that's a, that's a major concern across the industry. And I think it's, it's one of these things right now. We've obviously, with stimulus and other benefits, we've, we've thrown a lot at the American people. And I think there is some concern in the workforce that uh, it may be discouraging some individuals from working. We need to encourage people to work. Uh, we need to build uh, up these front lines uh, more quickly because uh, we think the demand is, is something that's going to be there for the foreseeable future. 
and our uh, our companies are certainly uh, uh, depending on, on the ability to find qualified candidates. So uh, we'd like to work with the, uh, the Biden administration, with our allies in Congress, to do what we can to encourage the American worker um, uh, to be in the workforce uh, and to be contributing in these uh, great opportunities that we have within our industry. So historically, in tight labor markets, companies hoping to hire have sweetened offers with added benefits, perks, and higher wages or salaries. But with many CPG companies having already increased pay brands recently, and rising inflation limiting the potential for additional wage or salary increases, Freeman says industry players will have to be creative in how they attract and retain qualified candidates. Those decisions also will need to be weighed against other cost management strategies. There's no doubt right now uh, that we're in an inflationary period. We are in a period of skyrocketing costs, and it's happening across all elements of the CPG industry, from the basic commodities, the ingredients, to the materials that these products are packaged in, to the transportation aspects of these uh, uh, products, to the workforce. Every single one of these is seeing dramatic increases in costs. So it's hard to, I think, for the companies to look at the workforce in a vacuum and say, okay, we're going to compete more, we're going to pay more. I think in general, the industry is willing to do that. The industry pays well and is willing to uh, look into creative ways to uh, continue to uh, attract qualified candidates. The biggest challenge is, as I said before, you can't do that in a vacuum. So your costs are going up across the board. Obviously, that's going to lead to pricing that goes up. But what is the elasticity within the American consumer? How much more are they willing to pay? How much more are retailers willing to allow uh, manufacturers to charge? Uh, pricing is going to be an issue. And I think, I think that, in many respects, it's less about how much is the industry willing to pay the workforce and more about how much of these cost increases are able to be passed through to the consumer. That's the ultimate question, and that's what will dictate at the end of the day how the industry responds to these higher uh, costs. With limited abilities to pass price through to consumers, many CPG players are pursuing other cost efficiency strategies, including within their supply chains. However, they must tread carefully because many of the supply chain vulnerabilities exposed by the pandemic persist today, despite concerted efforts to reinforce weaknesses. With this in mind, Freeman lauded the Biden administration's American Jobs Plan proposed at the end of March, which includes measures to reinforce supply chains and potentially help alleviate current labor shortages. Specifically, the proposal suggests investing $50 billion to create a new office at the Department of Commerce, quote, dedicated to monitoring domestic industrial capacity and funding investments to support production of critical goals. The proposal also seeks to bolster community college partnerships to provide job training for in-demand skills. I think supply chain is with us for a long time at this point, right? Because it's not just the toilet paper that people got used to. It's not just the various uh, household products, food, and beverages that people got used to. We're now seeing it with the chip shortage. That is uh, everything that goes in our smartphones to our cars and so on. 
people are gaining a greater appreciation for the journey that products take before they wind up in our hands. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing that we have a better understanding of the complexity of the supply chain because it's with that understanding that we can take these, some of these issues more seriously and really invest some efforts into removing frictions. We were thrilled to see in the infrastructure package the president put forward substantial funding for an office of supply chain within the Department of Commerce. That office does not exist today. There is no one at a national level that has their finger on the pulse of the supply chain, both coming into the United States and within the United States. How product is getting to market, where the holdups are, uh, what can be done to address some of these things. We need to have some of that perspective at a higher level within government, and we're thrilled to see the investment in that area because this is an area that, uh, uh, that needs more attention than it's gotten in the past. And, and I think it's important for people to understand the multiple aspects of supply chain. You know, I think when we think of supply chain, we instantly go to road and rails. Uh, and, of course, there's some of that. We need to address the truck weights. We need to maintain our policy with hours of service for truck drivers. But we've got huge issues at our ports right now uh, in terms of um, too many containers waiting to be processed, not enough shipping containers out in uh, the ocean lanes, moving product from point A to point B. Uh, we have a host of issues across all aspects of the supply chain, including, going back to another topic that we already talked about, attracting qualified candidates to work in um, uh, these businesses. You know, one of the things that's also in the president's uh, infrastructure package is funding for community colleges and people getting more involved in some of the technical skills and the trades, that is a good decision. We need more of those candidates. It's a huge aspect of the supply chain. It can't work without them. So I think we're making some good targeted investments that wouldn't have happened without COVID. COVID was a wake-up call, um, but we need to, uh, we, you know, that alarm went off a little while ago. We need to get moving pretty quickly here. The Consumer Brands Association also is urging the government to take additional steps to help alleviate challenges related to rising costs, labor requirements, and consumer demands, all of which the trade group notes in a letter sent to the National Economic Council May 13th are surging to levels not seen since March 2020. We understand that there are so many factors here that are driving this, and government policy isn't going to solve all aspects of the problem, but there are things that can be incremental, that can be meaningful here. Some of that is in uh, solving the shipping container shortage that we're seeing uh, within our uh, within our ports and, and obviously um, in the ocean lanes. And there are things we think we can do to help solve that. Uh, I mentioned truck weights. Uh, we have uh, too many trucks that are traveling around this country that aren't full. Uh, they've maxed out weight before they have maxed out the space. Uh, that's an area where we can make a meaningful difference. I know during COVID, some important steps were taken in this direction, and we did not see any reductions in safety. Uh, that's an area to take a hard look at. CBA also asked the National Economic Council to ensure efficient clearances, inspections, safety checks, and other required actions to avoid supply chain delays. In addition, it asks the government to encourage a return to work through education programs and increased flexibility to unemployment 
and assistance programs. CBA also asks for an updated workplace guidance to reflect vaccination status and that the government accelerate federal maritime commission efforts to address ocean carrier consolidation and declining maritime shipping performance and port delays. And the truth is the government can be creative and identify other opportunities where it can provide value. So we're certainly going to push them to do that. Uh, we do think uh, the administration uh, in our conversations to date is willing to hear those ideas and, and willing to implement some of those ideas. CBA also is advocating for stronger federal government oversight of key regulations that currently are being managed at the state level, creating an uneven playing field that hinders reputable brands' ability to meet consumer demand efficiently. One of the most important things here as we think about this is given the consumer demand here, we are very much in favor of looking at these as national issues, right? How do we solve for some of the things around sustainability, around recyclability? Uh, how do we solve things related to various ingredients and allergens at a federal level? One of the biggest disruptions for our business, a business of scale, is when we have California go one direction, New York go a different direction, a third state go you know, a completely different direction. We're destroying the power of scale. So let's talk about what consumers demand. Let's talk about what some of these biggest issues are, and let's solve for them at a federal level. Even if it's imperfect for the industry, we can build a business around that. We struggle to provide consumers the products they want at the price they want when we have states stepping in here and and really driving policy that um, hinders, I think, the power of scale and the ability to provide all consumers with the information that they're looking for. The the best example that that I always point people to is the issue of CBD. You You look at CBD and it's the Wild West out there. You can't go in a convenience store in every corner of this country and, and not see CBD with wild claims being made in terms of what it can do for people and why they should purchase this. The FDA has not stepped in. The FDA has not established one policy. The FDA does not have the resources they need to effectively regulate in this area. And it really hinders trusted, regulated brands from stepping into the business. In all issues that we deal with, um, or let me say in nearly all issues we deal with, um, we are seeking a stronger federal government. We are seeking greater clarity. We are seeking greater predictability in our business, and we get that with clear, uh, uniform policy. Ultimately, Freeman says a collaborative approach between industry and government is essential for rebuilding after the pandemic and ensuring the hard lessons learned during the last 15 months are applied to support smart growth for the CPG industry and broader American economy and population. The industry accomplished extraordinary things. Um, the government accomplished extraordinary things, right? We, we see it now. We protected uh, our people, albeit um, uh, room for improvement uh, across the board within industry, within government. Um, but we have, we have made it through um, uh, to the other side of a pandemic here. And there are a lot of lessons learned. And those lessons are about the importance of partnership. Those lessons are about the power of scale. Those lessons are about this newfound phrase that is, you know, kitchen table discussion in supply chain. The, the details matter. And how we provide for the American people matters. 
And we need partners within government who will help us continue to do that for many, many years to come. We've been very pleased uh, in our initial interactions with the Biden administration, the steps they've taken on supply chain, the interest they've shown in um, some of the priorities that we've presented them. So we're hopeful for a strong uh, and lasting partnership here with the Biden administration. What we've showed all of us is that the industry can do great things. Um, the American people can do great things. Um, but a partnership is, is how we got through COVID, and it's going to take a partnership to learn the lessons from COVID uh, and build a better environment as we go forward. Uh, we're excited to have that partnership um, with the Biden administration and look forward to strengthening it. Listeners who are interested in learning more about the full economic impact of the pandemic on the CPG industry so far and exploring how industry and the government are responding to ongoing challenges, should check out the story that accompanies this podcast on foodnavigatorusa.com, where we'll link to key research and communications by CBA and the Biden administration. With that, we've come to the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope that you will join me again next week for another installment. And to ensure that you remember, I encourage you to subscribe to us. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week.